Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Hey, I'm not breaking any news here with the statement that Seattle has a homelessness problem. Many would say a crisis. And with so many people homeless, there are many different approaches as how to handle that problem. Joining me today to talk about that is Paul Lambros. He's the executive director and Kelly Larson, the chief program officer at Plymouth Housing Group. Paul and Kelly, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Gary. I'm glad to have you here because, like I said, uh, a lot of people have finally noticed uh, this is a real problem and it isn't going away. Matter of fact, I don't know if you want to start before we get into what Plymouth Housing Group really does specifically, maybe talk generally about the homelessness problem in Seattle and, I don't know, trends over the last, I don't know, one year, two year, 10 years, 20 years? Paul, you've been at this for quite a while, right? 25 years 25 years at Plymouth Housing Group. Congratulations on it. Uh, anniversary, I guess. I wish you didn't have to work at this for that long, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, ha- I mean, am I right? It's, is it as bad in Seattle as it is other places? And Yeah, it's one of, it's one of the biggest problems that we have in Seattle. And um, as far as major cities around the country, we're one of the ones with that crisis right now dealing with it. I, I would say, you know, Plymouth and other organizations have done a great job over the years getting many, many people off the streets. But when we look at the issue of poverty in our community and we look at the rents going up and things like that, I think we're seeing more people dropping into homelessness. Um, but you guys have found kind of a, I don't know, a successful way to, to do this, right? You guys look around the country and see who is doing better. And even though, I don't know, these things are like slowing down a battleship and turning them around sometimes in the middle of the ocean, it takes a long time for society to catch up and say, yeah, let's do it this way. What kind of what kind of results can yeah. you guys find uh, in doing things differently? Well, let me, or? I'm gonna have Kelly address some of it, but let me say first of all, it's interesting. We get that question a lot. What have you learned around the country? And I, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, Plymouth and some other organizations here, we go around and people use our model. Hey, that's that what I wanted to hear. Yeah, they they know that our permanent supportive housing model is really helping people get off the streets, people with chronic conditions, mental health issues, the whole bit and keeping them off permanently and keeping them housed. So we've been able to show folks too. So there's lots of communities doing it really well, um, but I think the nonprofits among us in Seattle do a very good job. You know, I was talking with my neighbor who's a lawyer the other day, and he said, he asked me the same question. What, what can we learn from other places? Has anyone really gotten this right? And I said, well, actually, I had kind of the similar answer to Paul. Actually, what we do at Plymouth is an amazing investment. It's a it's cost effective. It's extremely humane. Public policy is a wonderful um, way to serve people. It's really the best way to serve some of the folks who've been most hardest hit by the economy and illness and a cycle of horrible things that have happened to them that are very hard to recover from. Um, and he said, but well, clearly that's not working because you look around you and you haven't ended homelessness. I said, you know what? You're right. The two-minute answer is doing what we do to the scale that it is needed. So there are places, primarily Northern European countries, that have done a proper investment to the scale that it is needed for the folks who are the lowest income and the most vulnerable in society. So that's what our charge is, is to find a way to bring our intervention to the scale that it is needed. You know, that's that's sort of the big picture question. I thought maybe we'd get there at the end of this, but mm-hmm. it, it does sort of take um, people to change their mind about, because this is what I've, I have found doing this job, is that people think, well, somebody else is working on that. I don't right. have to worry about that. Somebody else is going to fix that for me. That's the way we are in America today, because so many things are easy and nice for us. Uh, we have microwave you know, ovens and, and two-car garages, and the 
there's wheels on our trash can. We don't have to carry them anymore. And there's a, a garage door opener. We don't even have to lift that anymore. So someone else will do this, right? And I think you're, you're saying we need this to the, get that done, the scale to which is needed. Everybody has to realize this is bigger than just someone else is going to take care of it. Right. You know, in, in Plymouth, we have a niche. You know, um, our model is there's, there's great providers providing emergency shelter-type services, transitional housing, working with families, working with youth, working with single adults. Um, we were started back in 1980 by a church, Plymouth Church in downtown Seattle who found homeless people sleeping on their doorstep. And they literally went and rented a building and moved those folks into housing and spun off into a nonprofit and we're a lot larger today. But we haven't lost that niche. So our what we do is we do the permanent supportive housing um, for people who have been long-term homeless with chronic conditions who really need to have services attached to their housing, not just a roof over their head. And so we have just opened our 14th building this past year and that is a 24-7 kind of operation where we have social workers on site. Um, because of, I think, some of the health issues that Kelly was talking about, we now have nursing in some of the buildings to help folks too. So we really have a niche, but we also have a model that really works for those long-term chronic folks. Yeah, and, you know, I guess so let's back up a little bit about folks that you serve. People don't just become homeless overnight. I mean, this kind of gradually creeps up on a lot of people, and a big part of it is mental illnesses and addictions and and a lot of those crossover and veterans with PTSD and these right. things sort of gang up on somebody as an individual and they find themselves, oh, there's one more bill or one more rent raise. Uh, I can't, I'm done for a while. And, and so who are those? I mean, is that a good enough example? You guys are, are on the streets more than me talking with those folks. Is, is that really how we get here? Yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> there's, there's, I don't suppose there's well, one, you know, one story, is there? No, one there's one thing I'll nip out of what you just said, though, that that for who we serve is not the cause. When you say one more rent raise, that definitely has been an issue lately of people dropping into homelessness, so their rents have skyrocketed. But I think about the folks that we're serving and bringing in with what you said: mental health, chemical dependency issues, behavioral health, medical issues. They've been homeless for a really long time. And I don't think it's been years and years and years since they had a rent increase go up. So yeah, they've been okay. in our shelter system, they've been on the streets, and we're bringing them directly into housing. And, and, and so these housing, so you, you kind of touched on it a little. I guess I want to talk about what's unique about uh, Plymouth Housing Group and, and that you take these then chronically, is that the right phrase, chronically homeless mm -hmm. for a long time and say, okay, first, we're going to put you in a house first uh, or some kind of home that's steady and dependable and stable and work on these problems now, because hasn't the model with a lot of these other agencies you said before, we got to get you, I don't know, housing ready or something. We got to right. kick mm -hmm. your yep. dependency first, and you right. prove to us that you won't have a run-in with the law for 18 months, and then we'll, I don't know, is, is that kind of the difference here? That's a big difference. I mean, I think there's a, you can watch the evolution of Plymouth since 1980 until today, and how, what Plymouth learned over all of the years of working with folks that, it was very problematic to try and require people to engage in services, require people to be clean and sober, require people to not have interaction with the criminal justice system. There's a lot of things that are beyond people's controls and requirements and institutions make people want to leave and run away. And mm -hmm. it's very challenging to provide services and help people recover when the, you're just constantly in this battle over requirements. So that is not what we do now. We practice housing first, which is the lowest barrier possible to entry into our program. And then we are very creative and assertive in our engagement with folks 
to, they're not required, but we are very creative in reaching out to people and helping them along their journey to recovery. Um, going back to kind of what you said about the rent, you know, a rent hike and someone is out of their house, we are worried about those folks now becoming chronically homeless. Um, the folks that we serve, they did have a rent hike, you know, 20 years ago and a medical crisis or something that put them out on the streets. And years and years of homelessness is extremely traumatic. It's very trying medically for people, mentally. Um, yes, there's all sorts of things that can happen to you, PTSD, just because you're homeless. So we are hoping that we can prevent some of those folks who are just out on the streets now from becoming chronically homeless later by building more housing. Yeah. And then so once you have them housed, and you guys, what did you say, 14 some kind of units around? 14 them? buildings over 1,000 units. 1,000 units. And on site in these units, you have, I mean, Correct. you put together, what do you call it, a vital team, right? right. So tell me about this and the wraparound services that are on site. So this sort of makes me think that the, the housing can foster the stability, the so, sobriety, or I guess, is that somewhat, the model, yeah. right? So when, when Kelly mentioned kind of like when as people are coming in, um, and I get the question asked a lot, like Kelly's neighborhood is asking questions when I do presentations about, well, you're not requiring, you know, that they're clean and sober. You're not requiring that they're on the mental health meds and things like that. And what we talk about is think about being on the streets. Think about being in a tent. Think about nobody helping you. Where is the motivation to deal with those issues? The motivation is a key to a door and a roof over your head. And that's what we've done is we've said, come on in. And once they get that roof over their head and that key to the door, then, as Kelly said, our staff can start to work with them to really deal with all of those issues. But for many of these folks, those issues are long-term, right? A mentally ill person who's out there on our streets may come in and get stable and get healthier physically, but still have a mental health issue that we need to work with. Sure. And so the model is, by having that low barrier, um, we have a 24-hour front desk, so we can monitor the building. There is a property management arm like any other apartment building would have. They're really great people to work with, you know, this group of folks that we have coming in. And then there's two to three social workers on site that I consider, what, Kelly, a bit of a jack of all trades. Because whether it's a person in there who's a homeless veteran with PTSD or someone with a mental health issue or someone with medical issues, they're really dealing with each individual as far as where they're at and what their needs are. The um, And then those folks that that work, I mean, you offer like, let's take one building, I guess this is the way I can look at it. Pick one building as specific that you guys operate and tell me what goes on there and uh -huh. what is like, I don't know, on the ground floor at the entry level and uh -huh. uh, and describe, I mean, if somebody's, you know, I'm, I can't get a job, I can't find a job. Yeah, I, I'm on a disability or something, but I can't get out of this rut. And then what uh -huh. kind of approaches does Plymouth Housing Group give them? So we rely very heavily on partnerships. We have a lot of partnerships around town. We rely, we work closely with the Veterans Administration and all sorts of veterans groups to help our vets. Um, we do partnerships with workforce development groups. We do partnerships with licensed mental health providers, um, with behavioral health, with uh, medical care. So like you said, we have nursing on site. And the nursing that we have on site is I heard this described the other day as slow medicine. It's a very different type of intervention for the folks that we are housing to try to just get them to go to an appointment, um, to try and start dealing with some of these really long-standing healthcare issues that they have. But when you first walk into one of our buildings, it's similar to what we walked in here. You have to buzz the door. You, there's a controlled entry. Mm -hmm. So everybody cannot just walk in and out. There is a controlled entry. There's staff at that front desk 24-7. 
Um, and for the team that we supervise in social services, we have two to three social workers on site that are their business hours to work on all the complicated appointments. You know how hard it is to go to the doctor just for yourself, right? Yeah. Um, you, take, helping with health insurance. It takes a week of working. And, on, yeah. Yeah. So, exactly what am I covered for? How long I'll exactly. wait? I can't right. see a specialist just yet until I jump through this hoop first. Yes. It's very challenging to navigate the very complicated healthcare system. So we do a lot of that work. <laughs> so if a multidisciplinary type of approach, I mean, a lot of hands can be touch the same person. Correct. Yes. Um, I think for some of our very Metaphorically complex... Metaphorically speaking. Yes. <laughs> and for some of our very complex cases, um, largely they are underserved and not well served by very large institutions and bureaucracies. So big hospital systems and really big healthcare companies are very challenging for them to navigate. So um, our folks will do a soft handoff from the, the work that they're doing in the housing environment to healthcare environments, and they're trying to help navigate those um, all those relationships so that we can improve health and improve quality of life and hope to see some stability gained over the years. Mm, so it's like uh, someone on site there can say, Gary, you know, here's who you ought to see, and I can make an appointment for yeah, you, mm-hmm, et cetera. Mm-hmm, wow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Here's it. You know what? Here's something I want to say, too, about our, our team, our staff. They're the most amazing group of people because, again, each one of these individuals moving into our housing has significant challenges that they're working with. And they recognize that these folks have been homeless for long term. And maybe they got in some form of housing at one point and it failed, right? We want to be the last stop. And so the services Kelly described and the work that they all do together, the main goal is not just to stabilize that person, but to keep them in housing and not let them go back to homelessness. And that's a big chore sometimes, but they do a really good job of it. Um, you mentioned a project, a particular project. So I was going to mention our, our most recent project that we opened um, on First Hill, um, kind of close to Harvey Hospital. Mm-hmm. And when Kelly mentioned partnerships, Harvey Hospital has been a fantastic partner. But we've been a great partner to them, too. So, for example, we have a lot of homeless folks with medical needs who are in the emergency room at all days and nights right. a day. And it's a very expensive to have people in the emergency room. Yeah. But they may be ill enough where they can't, they can come back to a unit at Plymouth, but they can't necessarily go back to a tent or outside in the cold. And so they're in that hospital driving a lot of costs. So our partnership there is that in the newest building we did, we have 30 of the apartments taking people directly out of the emergency room. It's not just that they have medical issues, but they have mental health and other things going on. We take them into our housing, which is a lot cheaper than being in the hospital. And Harborview as a partner is providing the nurse and other medical staff on site to help the tenants in the building. So it's a great win-win for both of us. But the biggest win is for the resident. That's actually... That's such a good point because a lot of Americans don't don't see an answer to something until it hits their pocketbook. So if you tell them, you know, it's cheaper to do it our way than the way we've been doing it traditionally, I suppose it's probably cheaper to have someone in a, a Plymouth Housing Group uh, home than in the county jail. That in might the county jail, Absolutely. in the hospital, in a sobering center being picked up by police or aid cars or ambulances. It's, it's really cost-effective, and we've been able to show that over the years. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other thing, people, when they want to figure out charities. You are accountable. You've been doing this 20-some, uh, almost 40 years now, almost right? 40 years, Plymouth Housing Group has, yeah. And uh, you can show you're accountable mm-hmm. all the time, over and over. We are talking this morning with Kelly Larson and Paul Lambros of, the, uh, of Plymouth Housing Group. Plymouth Housing Group works to eliminate homelessness and address it by... Uh, well, preserving, developing, operating safe, quality, supportive housing, and by providing homeless adults 
with opportunities to stabilize and improve those lives. So online, right? You guys have got a online presence, mm-hmm. PlymouthHousing.org, right? Correct. That's just Their spelled website. out just like it sounds. Just like PlymouthHousing.org. Two H's in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. When you start typing it. <laughs> yeah, when you start typing it, people skip an H once in a while, but it's PlymouthHousing.org. Yeah, and uh, so this, is, this has been successful, and like Kelly said earlier, if only we could do this on the scale to which it's really needed. Right. Um, a lot of cities uh, around the country started these uh, plans, and I think it's more than 10 years ago now, this 10-year program to end homelessness, and they've had to been revised and revised a couple of times. Um, how, is that, how has Seattle been on that? I mean, yes, we, we feel like we are a progressive city and we, we want to do more, but, man, we run up against it. With dollars, right? Is that what stops us doing things big time? Yes, I think I think dollars is really key. Um, I think Seattle's done a really good job in, in coordinating with the city and the county together has gone um, better than it used to. But it is more about resources, right? And again, when you mentioned that cost effectiveness we talked about, if we can shift some of those resources over to homelessness and housing, um, I think we get a lot more people off the streets. Every budget, there's more dollars going towards the issue, um, but not at the scale that Kelly described that's really needed um, in our community. We're working, um, I should say Plymouth, when we do um, projects, for instance, it's really a public-private partnership. When we're doing a building, we're using our local Seattle dollars, which is the Seattle housing levy that was passed by voters time and time again, which is fantastic. Right. But we can leverage that with getting county dollars, state, federal dollars, and private fundraising dollars to sort of make a project work. And so um, we're really digging deep right now in the sense that um, we have a project about to break ground in November. That's our next big project. But we have three other sites we're looking at that we're ready to go. And so we're going to be launching a capital campaign next year. If people want to learn more about that, it'll be on the website soon. But really to raise some private dollars to match up and leverage all the public resources that might be available. But um, we are a very strong, healthy organization. Our board and staff went through a strategic planning process that said we're doing a good job. We're doing these buildings on time you know, at a, at a steady pace. We want to sort of go bigger and try to do more. So you want to provide more housing, more stable, as a, kind of like apartments. I don't know, describe the facilities you build. Are they always the same style, uh, apartment style? And I don't know. Right. Well, it's interesting. I just Friday drove my son back up to Western um, University, Western Marsh University, in his um, two-bedroom apartment with four guys. You know, it's kind of small and crowded. <laughs> a but college we, dormitory we, style. Well, yeah, it's apartments, but yeah, small. And we're, that's what we're really looking at is efficiency, right? And so for one thing, um, it is a lot when a person comes out of long-term homelessness to take care of a, a somewhat larger unit. We want it to be efficient. We want to be able to house as many people as possible. So we're really we're looking at 280 to 325 square foot studio apartments. They have a little kitchenette. They have a you know, stove and a refrigerator. We provide um, the bed and the dressers and the whole bit. Um, in our buildings, we do a lot more accessible units than you normally would in an apartment building because of the things that folks are dealing with. But it's really compact and small studio units that are in the building. And our buildings range from 80 to 110 units. That's sort of the scale that we want to be efficient to have that 24-hour desk and on-site services Kelly talked about. Um, the ground floor is kind of different from other apartment buildings because what we want to do is really build community within the building once people get there. So our social work offices are down there. We have a couple of community rooms, a large common kitchen where volunteers come in and cook meals and things like that. But um, it's another thing, just as we learned, Kelly mentioned the program over the years of how to really work with folks, we've sort of learned what the 
the operation and the look of the building needs to be to be very efficient too. Mm-hmm. And I guess you just mentioned volunteers. So uh, the staff that you have in those places uh, are almost, did you say they're social workers or, or kind of, you said, mm-hmm. jack of all trades, but how about volunteers? What are the volunteer opportunities for people listening now and saying, ah, Plymouth Housing Group sounds like they got it together. I want to spend some time there. We have wonderful volunteers that do a variety of things. Um, we have some long-standing groups that come very regularly. What's nice for our folks is consistency. So we have some great groups that come in and do meals on a regular cadence, which is really helpful so people can plan and look forward to it. That's a really nice thing to do. Uh, meals or donations of food, basics for people's pantries. People are moving in with nothing. So we have a lot of need for you know linens, uh, everything, all the basic um, kitchen items. We do hospitality and welcome baskets for all of our new residents. So we always need materials for those, blankets, you know, all the basics that you need that folks don't have when they first move in. So in-kind donations are a real tangible thing people need. Mm-hmm. Yes, Right, and absolutely. little things we wouldn't think about, like toiletry items and things like that. A razor, we work, we, toothbrush. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, with the linen thing and all that, we um, have regular donations with that, those kinds of items, too, through the hotels downtown and things like that. But Pillowcases that's and needed. things like that. Yeah, right. Like well, you imagine or... that you're bringing somebody mm-hmm. in who's been homeless for, you know, 10 years, yeah. and they may have a backpack or they may have a couple of belongings, but really that's all they have mm. when they're moving in. Mm. And so now, I don't know, have we nailed this down very well? The, the new residents, where exactly do you find them? Do they find you? How are they brought to you? You mentioned Harborview Hospital, but that can't be everybody who ends up in a Plymouth right. home. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yes. So in King County, we've recently changed the way that people enter homeless housing programs, and it's through a coordinated process called Coordinated Entry for All. So there's a multiple points of access. You can call 211, receive an assessment, you are put on a list, and then people who rise to the very top of the list based on vulnerability uh, would be eligible for Plymouth or a comparable unit that we do. Um, so there's a there's a common list, and there's a group of people that get together every week to talk about some of our most vulnerable neighbors that are outside who need housing, and that's how we receive referrals at this time primarily through that list. We do still have some relationships with Harborview for a number of units because they are they're such a big hospital. They're seeing a lot of homeless patients, so a lot of our folks do come from Harborview, and even through this coordinated system, a lot of those folks are interacting with Harborview as well. They mm. they just serve so many people who are mm-hmm. on the on the margins. Wow. Uh, We are talking this morning with Plymouth Housing Group uh, Executive Director. I want to make sure I say this right. Right, Paul? Paul Lambros. I've been there 25 years now. And uh, Kelly, uh, gosh, I just, Larson with an E, right? Kelly Larson, (laughs) E-N, Chief Program Officer, right? That's right. Um, Online, people look them up, please. They do such fantastic work. PlymouthHousing.org. Uh, a nonprofit. You guys have to raise your money. You just have a big fundraiser. You had a Sanjay Gupta in town, right? Right. But, right. but like you said, for our annual luncheon, a luncheon. Right. You need funds all the time. Building homes and apartments mm-hmm. in this city is not cheap. Um, what you say? The new one's going to be Rainier. The Valley new one's or? at Rainier and King Street. Um, yeah. And so, can you talk about the price of just housing in Seattle? I mean, it, it's been off the charts relative to other cities around the country, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. The rents have really gone up, and I think that's when you talk about that 12,000 people, you know, in King County that are are homeless. Yeah, Yeah, the land. um, But we've been been pretty lucky um, to find, you know, pieces of land 
that are discounted somewhat or, or are not right for a for-profit development. So for example, sometimes if you're gonna do a for-profit apartment building or condo, you need to, get, need to do an underground garage. And if you're on a smaller footprint like we can build on, you know, seven, 8,000 square feet where you can't get that, the property becomes better for a better use for us. So there are um, land use uh, changes uh, in, in who's going to build, what it's for. So if it's a for-profit, I want to make money apartment or condo. Right. The regs are different than if it's a non-profit, low-income housing. Yeah, the building regs are kind of similar, but the operation's different. We should mention, you know, for us, when you talk about rents, for example, um, what we do is we bring folks in out of homelessness, like we've talked about. Most all of our folks are on some form of disability insurance, whether it's because you're a vet or you have a mental health issue or a senior. And then what they pay for rent is 30% of that income. Ah, so you, right? they so, are invested. Totally. That this is my home yep, because they home. pay a rent check. Right. They're paying a rent check. And, they have and a lease. that's that averages they have, they have a, lease. a lease like you and I would have in an apartment building. And that rent averages around two to two fifty a month. And then we look at fundraising, other subsidy programs, um, other government sources to sort of make up the difference, allowing us to operate and provide all the services on site. If there were a big I don't know there's so many charities and groups and service agencies that have tackled different, you know, problems and symptoms, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. food banks, uh, emergency shelters, uh, transitional shelters, and, and you guys are doing permanent housing. Um, but to, I don't know, back to that big picture, how, how do you get people, society has to buy into this? How do we convince them all that, man, we got to change this. There's, it's just too big. Well, let me tell you how I do it <laughs> when I'm out there talking to folks. It really depends on the group. And you probably have a wide audience of a group. So some people um, really get about how we started and really the crisis that these folks are in that we're helping. And so it's really heartfelt and they want to help and they know they've seen people out in the streets. And the folks that we're serving, are the folks you see in downtown Seattle or elsewhere that are, you know, um, really needing to take a bath and a shower and have medical needs. There are people that might have a drug and alcohol issue. They've slept outside all night and you've seen them, right? And so you want to get them off the streets. And if you could see what is happening with that person there on the street versus six months later after living with us, it's really like night and day. And this is no lie. I have, there was this one, this is a couple years ago now. I've been here a long time, like you know, but a few years ago I was this one guy was always on the corner and I was always trying to talk to him and, and work with him and then he disappeared. And I thought, man, I wonder, you know, I hope he's okay. And then, right, Kelly, he turned up one of our buildings that somehow he got to recorded entry and got in the building. So it's great, great. And so that's sort of the, the heartfelt part of it, right? Then there's others that really look at what is costing our community to have people living out on the streets, as we talked about, right? Police, fire, hospitals, jail, the whole bit. And if you look at our model, of what it costs us to serve somebody over a year period of time compared to being out there and with dealing with all these systems, it's just the right thing to do as a cost-effective model for our community. So really it's whatever you care about, I think we have an answer to around the issue of homelessness and, and what we're doing for the long term for these folks. And is there a way, I, we're gonna run out of time here, I should have asked this a long time ago, the success rate, how can you measure that and show people this works, uh, this guy stays uh, out of homelessness I don't know, do you measure that in months or mm-hmm. years or mm-hmm. percentage yes. of yeah. Yeah. people? You yeah, you know, I was an excellent student growing up, and I think that 95% is a pretty high benchmark to hold people to, but that is the rate, that's the benchmark we are held to for the intervention that we do. So we, it's for supportive housing, uh, the federal government and our local funders, C- City of Seattle, King County, have determined that we have to hit a 95% success rate, and we do at Plymouth exceed 95% 
That means that ni- over 95% of our tenants are maintaining housing or exiting to other permanent housing options every wow. year. That's yeah. awesome. And, and you got you to gotta know, these are folks that have been chronically homeless for many, many years and have failed at other interventions, but they're successful at Plymouth. And I go back to that team that really their desire to keep them housed. And did we leave anything out today? I mean, is there something you really want to make sure people hear about Plymouth Housing Group or that you always say a second time uh, before we run out of complete time here? Um, go to the website, especially in a few months when we start listing stuff about what our campaign is going to be doing and, and our future. Um, but, yeah, we are a great organization, going strong, a great board of directors, 200 staff strong, um, doing a great job. Yeah, Plymouth. The community. Yeah, and the website, again, PlymouthHousing.org. Right? That's right. All right. Thank you so much. We have been talking today with Paul Lambrosi, the executive director, and Kelly Larson. She is the chief program officer at Plymouth Housing Group. Kelly and Paul, thank you guys so much for coming in today. And a bigger thanks for all that Plymouth Housing Group is doing for homeless in our community. Well, thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Gary. I am Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.